Hello and welcome to this week's The Proteomics Show. This is the Oregon Trail, season three of a special limited series sponsored by US Hupo. Hi, I'm Ben Osborne. I'm here with Dr. Benjamin Neely, and this episode features uh, Professor Fan Liu, who is a group leader and facility head uh, at FNP in Berlin. Yeah, we kind of went down a, a hole with cross-linking, and I loved it. Um, also, you know, it's not just PPI, protein-protein interaction. It's also people-people interaction, and I think we did a lot of that. So enjoy. All right. Hello, and welcome, Fan. Thanks for coming today. Yeah, thank you uh, for, for hosting me. <laughs> yeah, and this is one we're actually talking to you across the pond, right? So you're not <laughs> East Coast or West Coast. Just where are you? Yeah. I'm across the ocean. I mean, Europe. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, Berlin, Germany. Cool. So, How's the weather? Like nine hours. How's the weather here? Oh, rainy, cold? cold. No one likes to stay here in winter. So most <laughs> of you go to Spain or Italy and Sicily, Gran <laughs> Canaria. It, Diving, should, climbing, surfing. No, not in uh, Berlin. I was gonna say we should say it's like late December. Um, you know, it's probably yeah cold dark yeah, yeah. Um, but i compare myself to people stay in sweden so i'm you know, <laughs> okay. I, feel, I feel happier if i think that way um well cool well yeah thanks thanks yeah. for coming um so you know we're doing this show about the upcoming um us Hupo, uh conference in, in portland and so we'd like to start off by asking i mean hey do you know what you're going to be talking about and if you do like if you want to just kind of briefly some just kind of go over that if you want. So what am I going to talk about at US Hupo? Yeah, the proteome. I see. Okay, so I haven't Maybe. really exactly. I haven't decided what exactly I'm going to talk about, but I've been doing this um, like this uh, cross thinking mass spectrometry for almost 15 years. So I'm sure I'm going to talk about that. Mm. So shall I explain a little bit of the technique? So basically, it's just a technique using mass spectrometry to look at protein-protein interactions. So like most of the people in the proteomic field, they still look at like protein identity or protein quantity as like just, just the characteristics of a protein. So basically the cell, our human body or per cell has like 20,000 proteins. And then what people have been trying to do for the past decades is look at what those proteins are and then if the protein changes in the healthy or disease conditions, and then like how the quantity changes, like okay, upon stimulation, now called now pain or like disease conditions, as I said. But then I'm particularly looking at the interactions between the proteins. So because the protein stages, 20,000 proteins, but they don't sit in the cell alone. Like all the communications or cell signalings are through protein-protein interactions. It's like US Hupo, right? We have like so many. Uh, participants, but like what the science comes out is after people talking and communicating and fostering ideas, and this is also what proteins do in ourselves. So then I look at protein interactions, like essentially how the signals transfer from one protein to another protein, and how the cell responses to different uh, ex external stimulations through protein-protein interactions. So then I use cross-linking mass spec to look at protein interactions in high throughput. So then the technique essentially it has, it's a, like just a small molecule. It's about like one nanometer, 10 angstrom long. And then it captures one protein on one side, it captures another protein from the other side. So this molecule has two reactive groups on what, both sides. So then if this molecule captures two sides or two proteins essentially, and then we will see 
what are the two proteins is. Since this molecule is very small, so it only captures the proteins that are in close proximity and which is the potential interactors. So then we just put this linker in the whole cell and then this linker gonna connect two proteins that are close in close proximity and then we use mass spectrometry to identify the identity of this interacting protein pairs. And then we use this information to generate like a large interaction networks of this 20,000 proteins. We might not see as deep as 20,000 proteins, but right now we can achieve roughly uh, like something like 6,000 or 7,000 proteins and they how they interact, how they form this interaction network in the cell. So that's what we do for this uh, a very long time. That's the research focus in my lab. And then we also do a lot of other things. For instance, we look at virus-host interactions. So where we see which viral protein interact with which other host protein, and those host proteins could be potential therapeutic targets if the viral protein uses host protein to proliferate. Right? So, so we also try to find potential drug targets or the host proteins that if we block the interaction between viral proteins and the host proteins, essentially we can also block the reproduction of the virus. That's the goal of those approaches. Okay, so you're, so you're actually doing cross-linking in vivo. Yeah, I'm mostly doing it in vivo. We also do it in vitro. Like if people have uh, like a purified protein complexes or especially like Corel EM people, if they have like a complex and then they try to understand the like connectivities between different subunits, they also come to me. And then, but this is a simple experiment we could do. But my, my I'm mostly interested in looking at protein interaction networks from complex systems. So I said the whole cell, like how all the cellular proteins interact in different conditions, and if the disease condition gonna change the interaction pattern of those proteins, and also like when virus infect the proteins, how this virus use the host proteins to, to, to help itself to pro proliferate. And those are the questions we are studying, yeah, mostly in vivo cross-linking. And, and when you say, uh, but because this is outside mm -hmm. of my, my, my world, but I, I remember learning more about PPI when it was, um, who's the guy at UCSF that, you know, shipped out like the, the COVID constructs, but that they also did like some Zika and some Ebola. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when they did it, like they're, they've got his tags or whatever on right, one of yeah. them. But are you talking yeah. like you could just toss these linkers Spray in? And all just, of like, them. Yeah. So the conventional approach is, as you said, exactly that you take like a tagged protein, the viral protein, and then you transfect this protein in the, like in host cells, and then you do a pull down, basically you pull out the viral protein based on the tag, and then you look what host proteins got co-purified, and those are the potential interactors. But this could only be done like one protein after another, or do it like in different reaction tubes, because then you need to transfect one protein and then look at as interaction partner. And then in parallel, you transfect another protein, look for as interaction partner. But what I'm talking about is as you is actually in parallel. So we have an infected cell where all the host or viral proteins, they are doing, you know, they're helping the virus to proliferate their own in the host cells. And then we throw this crossing in there. So it essentially captures all the virus and host interaction in pair. So the difficulty in the technique would be how can we identify all those virus host pairs from a mass spec experiments. So that would be the technical challenge there is 
how do we see everything? So the crossing captures a lot of them. But then, of course, mass spectrometer, it has its own sensitivity limitations or dynamic range limitations. So then what I've been trying to do in the past many, many years is how to increase the sensitivity so we can see as much as possible. So um, are your, are your cross-linkers crossing the, the cell membrane? Or is this a... um, yeah, we have we have like different versions, like uh, cellular membrane permeable ones. When we want to look at what's happening in the cell, like in vivo crosslinking, we also have impermeable ones to look at like the cell surface in heractal. Right, that's also particularly interesting to a lot of like neutralizing antibodies where cells have contacts or so. Yeah, but there again the problem lays at the sensitivity, like, you know, because the membrane protein is only. I don't really know, but it's like a very tiny portion of the whole human proteome and how we can detect this like cell surface interactions from the large excess of uh, cellular proteins. So we need some enrichment of the plasma membrane, but they will also use a impermeable crosslinker, membrane impermeable crosslinker, so then they only crosslink the proteins on the cell surface. Yeah, I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's, you know, it's funny you say that, like, I... I was studying, you know, again, back to the last two or three years and looking at these like beautiful studies that were coming out of like, let's say viral, like spike proteins or receptors. Mm -hmm. And I would, then I would read that and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then I read the notes and like all that cool data was some purified thing that was yeah, like yeah, enriched yeah. like a thousand thousand fold. I'm like, I will never get to see this in vivo, right? Like ever in vitro. <laughs> Um, and it kind of crushed my soul. Like I had like all these proposals and then someone's like, then you can't do that. Like you'll never see it. Um, but, but that's what you're working on, right? Like you're, yes, that's what you just said. Well, I was only talking about the, the greatest part of cross-linking, but then, you know, like if as you, you buy something, like the price and time and quality, you can never get all of them 100%. So you have to cypress one or if you want the other one. So then cross-linking, well, it's like it's, I mean, I think for in vivo capturing protein interactions, that's really great as high throughput and it captures a lot at the same time. But then like the resolution, the structure resolution that's much lower than for our EM. Like when you have like pure vet protein, you get a structure of this protein, then you get atomic resolution. You see how this glycoprotein looks like, you know, exactly the three-dimensional structure at the atomic resolution level. And for us, we kind of know, okay, these two proteins interact. Okay, the interaction interface is more or less in this like 20, within this 20 or 30 amino acids, but we don't have a like atomic resolution structure of the interactions. So that's the downside, which I should mention here. It's like the resolution is about maybe 10 angstrom, 20 angstrom, or some nanometer resolution, usually say nanometer resolution. So the resolution is uh, not as great as for EM. But as I said, I mean, like all these techniques, they have also pros and cons and they complement each other. And I would emphasize more on the throughput and the like the in vivo aspect of uh, of crosslinking. So, so when you, how long does it take you to get to six thousand proteins and their interactors? Um, let's see. Uh, so not that. Let me. Yeah, not. I want to say not that long, but that's like a useless sentence because it's like <laughs> scale is the most important thing here. Um, so. Uh, like instrument time, a couple of months for sure. So usually we get like mm, probably 3,000 PPIs, like 3,000 PPIs within a week, roughly. And then, but it doesn't go linearly because like the 
like the deeper you go, the more time is more of an exponential curve. So, oh, sorry, it's a, a reverse. So then that's roughly, I think, uh, 3,000 PPIs probably a week and then 10,000 PPIs like a month or so. So, yeah, and then if one wants to get like really deep, just a couple of months, then like that's roughly probably, yeah, not 50,000, 50,000 PPIs. And I assume that, that you're getting there by, by increasingly... Uh, like fractionation, yeah, fractionation, yeah. enrichment of certain organelles. So if you think about like we can have the cell, but if we enrich like plasma membrane, then like say uh, like intracellular uh, membrane system or mitochondria or uh, nuclear nucleus and and then do some like fractionation on the side also with like size exclusion chromatography and the further fractionation, offline fractionation, like online fractionation. So, yeah, so essentially you just get more and more, but it grows slower and slower cool. and then to, to achieve a higher depth. Okay. So, mm -hmm. And and when I go to, you know, nice places like Uniprot, it's pretty clear that, you know, each human protein has one very well-defined function, right? Um, mm -hmm. It, I, I, how many how many interactors are you finding on proteins like this? Or are they... Yeah, so this is very interesting. So we do see a lot of proteins. They have so many interactors, like the chaperone proteins, you know, <laughs> like for instance, and then also some scaffolding proteins. Then they just if, um, they, they form the scaffold of the cell, and then just lots of proteins sit on it. Then it has just naturally a lot of interactors. The chaperone it helps folding of many proteins, so it also interacts has many uh, like interactors. And then we also see some other proteins like uh, some some uh, like membrane proteins, although they're super abundant, but they just sit by themselves. They, they <laughs> you know, like our scaffolding on the membrane or like ion channel or so, or ATP synthase, they, they just, then they don't interact with many other proteins. So we do see just proteins like to interact with a lot of other proteins and proteins, they don't have many interactors. And also the proteins, if they always stay in a stable protein complex, then this protein only would have the protein around it in this complex all the time. But if some other proteins then has like, say kinases or so has many substrates, then they will interact with many different interactors. So that's definitely different from different proteins. But then for kinases, like we don't capture so many interactions of kinases, mostly because I think we lose all the substrate kinase interactions in our current pipeline. But now we're moving into in vivo on this, and then like in vivo cross thinking, and then you reach for kinases, and there we see more. I, I love it. It's it's. I don't. I, I think you're describing like something I wish I was doing, <laughs> but, but like it also reminds me like when I so I don't know almost 20 years ago when it was like blue native page or we were going to do like mm -hmm. SEC you know all these like native yeah, complex yeah, yeah. it was like horrible and like didn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but this is like so much better. Um, yeah, I mean, I also imagine that I, so I have some PhD students, they're doing some, they work on one protein, try to solve the structure. And then if unlucky, then this protein never crystallized or so, then it was, it was very difficult. And I think from that point on, I feel I like large scale analysis. Of course, I think data there is like data quality is extremely important, like crap in, crap out. So yeah. I what I need to do is just control the quality of the data. And then just generate 
a lot of data and then what also generates like positive control data so i know what i'm doing and also start with like a biological system i know very well just to ensure the quality of the data so i think they are working with one protein like usually you know the, the, the failure rate is a little bit high because what if your protein doesn't behave that you can't control and working with large data set is i think quality is very important because if you start with just a lot of yeah, low quality data, and then you try to analyze something with some, I don't know, fancy AI approach. But yeah, I mean, even ChatGPT and these like human, <laughs> with this uh, manual, manual screening of the, the input training data set. Right? So then we, we also try to do that, like just use the known biological system to quality control the data set and also have some positive control data set. And then after we assure our pipeline works and then we push to other like a uh, organism or species. How many of these interactions are like, you know, on a quantitative gradient versus how many of them are in your control, they're absent and then in your treated, they appear. Is it, you know, on off interactions or do you, do you see a lot of gradients quantitatively? So, so we do see like we have some examples that the proteins, like for instance, like there's some channels opens and closes, <laughs> like in one condition over the other one. And we also see like some proteins are very interesting, like some proteins, they like they, they kind of like, like tether like the outer memory and in, in the memory of pinal country together in one condition because it just needs uh, like a lot of uh, the formation of cristae. And in the other condition, this protein just sitting more flat on the membrane so it doesn't form this bridge to capture like, to capture the tether the outer memory inner membrane so we have like different cases to see like okay so this is the conformational change and this is like uh, okay this protein find another interaction partner and in a different condition but i mean there um but i have to say that there for the interaction we we do see most of the interaction changes are due to protein abundant changes like you say you took a knockout with this protein and it just reduced the expression and then the interactors also get lost. Right. So this we see very often, most of the cases are like this. And then we also see like the translocation of the protein. So for instance, if a protein stays on the membrane in one condition, and then this protein just have all the interactions at the membrane, and then upon stimulation, and this protein get cleaved from the membrane and translocated into the nucleus. And suddenly you see all the interactors pop up as a nuclear protein. So that's an indication, okay, this protein translocated from the, uh, the plasma membrane to the nucleus. So that we also see quite a bit. So, yeah, it's very interesting stuff. It's, it's really funny. We, you know, we didn't pick the speakers or the, we, we obviously didn't pick the speakers and we also didn't pick our guests, but, but there's been this theme that, mm -hmm. that all the things we're talking about are very mass spec unique, like questions you couldn't ask otherwise. And then also this theme of like function. So like last week we talked to uh, Kristen Burnham Johnson and she was talking about basically like having me metabolic directed proteomic spatial analysis. So if we see mm -hmm. this, then we know this function. And mm -hmm. I feel like you're also kind of talking that too, like do people combine cross-linking on top of spatial analysis or like, is that just too much? Um, mm, I think not many people doing it, but I actually think it's actually a great technique to do it. Because so you can think about crosslinker 
it's just like a small molecular ruler. You can think about it like a molecular ruler. So then, so if we know some proteins that are in the membrane, like plasma membrane, and then any proteins being crosslinked to those proteins, they would also sit in the same spot, just like one nanometer away. So they also have to be close to the plasma membrane, or like say at the plasma membrane within one nanometer resolution. And then if a protein sits in the nucleus, like we know a lot of proteins sit in the nucleus, and then if those proteins cross link to some other proteins, we don't know where they are, but those proteins likely also sit in the nucleus. Yeah. So that gives the spatial resolution, yeah. just it gives this additional information on the spatial resolution and that's high throughput like if you think about doing spatial uh, like uh, resolution oh like spatial proteomics by imaging approach then you need to look at them one by one right you stay in one protein see where it is and you stay in another protein see where it is so that's like you just have to do it one by one and then but with cross-linking it's again high throughput because you can use the existing information. Okay, those are the nuclear protein. They cross into the nuclear protein. They're just like, we know there's 10 proteins in the nucleus and they cross into another 20 protein, but those 20 proteins should also be in the same compartment. So that's like natural spatial resolution using cross-linking. But of course, uh, we will also do like, we will do validation as well if we find new candidates and then we do imaging <laughs> just to see, okay, if this protein is really sitting in the nucleus. But there, I would actually think, like, I mean, I wouldn't say it's more accurate, but um, like, so there are a lot of delocalized proteins. So protein both in the nucleus and in the cytosome, or in or probably even multiple places. And then in imaging, if this protein is predominantly in the cytosome, you see a huge signal from cytosome. And if this protein has a cytholite function in somewhere, but you might not see it if it's just not too much of the signal. And then by cross-linking, then we will see, okay, there are some interactors in the nucleus. There are also some, a lot of interactors in the site also. Then it's, in the, it's also indicating that this protein could be delocalized in both areas. So um, yeah, spatial, yeah, it has, like it gave spatial information. It definitely gave spatial information. I, I like yeah. it. And, and this is, what you're, you're one of those where I'm pretty sure we could talk to you just about the science for like an hour. Uh, or more, yeah. but um, we also like to ask about, you know, how did you get here, right? Like, how, how'd you get to do a cross-linking with mass spectrometry? And we joke, but you can go back as far as you want. You know, you were like six years old and I don't know uh, what, what would be your inspiration, but go as you will. Tell us how you got here. How I got here. Uh, well, I did my PhD in the States. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I definitely wasn't six years old. When mm -hmm. I did my PhD in the States. <laughs> I mean, did it, like, did you always like find that that love, that interest? Uh, so a lot of people like they started off like as chemists and then they were biologists, or yeah, or I mean, depending one person on was like a history major. You know? <laughs> depending on who I'm talking to, if I'm the interview, I will say I have, I have. Uh, I have like interest in science in general when I was a kid, when I was six years old. Well. If I talk to, well, let's say, uh, I, um, well, I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I like a lot of things. I have quite broad interest in different things. Mm -hmm. um, 
Well, then, I didn't really think too much. So when I, when I, when I was applying like different majors for university, I think I had economics, and then biochemistry, electrical engineering, computer science, and then international relations. Yeah. yeah, they go together. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I have a lot of random majors to choose from, and then I just accidentally end up in studying life science. So okay, so you got the, yeah. the random, the random interest. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got I a random that. interest, and then I just picked one of them. And then, and then you, you said you, so that was, you got a undergrad or whatever that was. You got a what was what was your degree? Uh, your undergrad, undergrad yeah. biology, biology, okay. biology, and then PhD biochemistry. I was in North Carolina. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, where at? Uh, a Raleigh. Like North Carolina State University. Oh, wow. A great place for retirement. That's what I learned when I was there. Is it still true? <laughs> I don't know. I've been there once. <laughs> but we I have see. a lot of friends up there. I see. Yeah, it's, it's a good city. Yeah, it's very quiet and a bit slow. Yeah. And who was the PhD with? Uh, Michael Ghosh. Okay. Got it. Yeah, he's probably not in science anymore. He's mostly doing teaching nowadays, if I remember correctly. He's a very good teacher. He's very patient. Taught me a lot about the basics of my spec. And, and were you doing cross-linking there? Yeah, I started there. I did. I yeah. did. So, yeah, it's been a very long time. But interestingly, when I started cross-linking, my PhD project was crossing BSA in the BSA, just crossing BSA and see how many crossings you can find from BSA. And I was so excited to find two crossings from BSA, and then I published a paper on that. So you can see how much it developed over the years. Wasn't that when you had like the albinome? I mean, I don't know what time yeah, period we're talking. Yeah, bovine albumin. Albuminol, no, yeah, but because it's yeah. sticky, right? Like it sticks it, like especially like in exactly, blood. Exactly, it's sticky. No. Yeah. So back then, it was mostly about technology, like getting a software running, or get a crossinger going, or just how to acquire data, like on the normal mass spec. So back then, most people, I think, crossing was like a really tiny field back then, sure. and then most people they're still doing like. Um, proteomics with also proteomics and the crossing was mostly on single proteins barely no in vivo crossing in study yeah. at that moment yeah so then i think aside some crosslinker then wrote a software later on and then developed some like acquisition strategies or so yeah mike yeah, my supervisor taught me a lot back then i feel like you're being very nonchalant about this and then i made some software synthesized some stuff or it's an acquisition techniques <laughs> like because we don't do any research on you like secretly like you don't like hold some crazy patent that i need to know about right oh uh, no not really <laughs> okay, i just good. do whatever is needed okay. whatever no one wants to do like well i won that prize because i invented that thing and i'm like oh god <laughs> so so did you did you pursue a, a postdoc in, in crossing? I did. Yeah, yeah. I so then I did my postdoc in Oberhex group. So he's uh, in the Netherlands. Um, Making elephants fly. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you seen that slide? Uh I saw him to talk make an elephant in, fly. In Florence. Yeah, he won some award at IMSC 
It was like 2018. I see, I see. And, yeah, and yeah, he yeah. used that quote, which is like another quote. And, and I loved it. Like, I, yeah. I, I love his talks. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a great speaker. That's true. He's a great speaker. <laughs> so, and where is he? Wait, so he's in the Netherlands? He's still in the Netherlands. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He's still. Oh, I know the city. Uh, and I can't think of it. It's not an I know. No. Utrecht. He's yeah, in Utrecht. 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 The yeah. prettier town. It's got the cute little it's, canals. Like you can go stay. Yeah, like you right, can. Like the yeah. tables like are lower. It's it's pretty. Yeah, I, right. Sorry, big fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I like Utrecht as well. Uh, it's, it's it's also a clean city, cleaner than Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. The weather is not great. Uh, rains a lot. It's quite windy, cold in winter. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful city. Uh, it's a very nice, small city center. Mm. And were, were you able to go straight from? Uh, a postdoc there into your current faculty. Yeah, so I I just applied. That was uh, like I just sent an email to Albert, and I think back then he was looking for a cross-linking person. Like he, he, I think he wants to explore this field. At the moment, he hired me, and then I think I was just a good fit at the moment. And then it was not too hard. I we had some just uh, like phone inter like online interviews and then he just said yeah come I mean yeah, he has like 70 people in the lab so I guess even if I fail it's fine for my, for oh, wait. My <laughs> yeah wait did you say 70 yeah yeah 70 oh. huh? okay. he has one of the biggest labs yeah I, I would guess something like that yeah, yeah, so, yeah. okay so, so you go from Raleigh to Utrecht yeah okay mm. To Berlin. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I only had two boxes to ship to Utrecht. And then oh, wow. I went there to get first my two boxes. Well, that, that makes it seem a lot, a lot easier to yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm, I always go against the whole like, okay, how do I get an elderly dog there? Every time I think about moving like somewhere far away, uh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't put him in a box. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So then, so, so you come to FMP, right? So you get a, right, a faculty right. job there, and, it, and is yeah. this this is research, right? I mean, this isn't it's it's a research institute type situation. You're not like teaching, right? Or, so you know. well, so I. Oh, that's also a funny story because then, um, so the so there was a um, like a facility head retired so then fmp was looking for they also didn't know they tell me later they told me later they didn't really know what they're looking for so then essentially they want a group leader but then they also want a facility head so then they they they, they offer this joint position as like a, a facility head plus a group leader and i was looking for a group leader position but i didn't mind also just to to to, to be part of to take the responsibility as a facility head. So then I take I took this joint position okay. mm -hmm, to, to, to start with. And then, um, well, I think FMP tried to save money, huh? Right? <laughs> because if they have one person for both jobs, <laughs> save the salary from, for one group. Yeah. So, so in here we divide our, we, you know, I have to say every month what I, pers what percent of my effort I put into what thing. Like, how, how does your how does your day break out? Do you do you have to say like oh you're fifty percent running facility or ten percent? So in the in the beginning it's probably a bit more on the facility side 
because it took some time to like just establish this pipelines like to make everything automated and then to have like SOPs and then to have like this uh, like data analysis pipeline and to generate beautiful plots or so so in the beginning I took I put some efforts in there to just to build up the facility to make it run smoothly and hopefully automatically <laughs> and then also like different from like uh, quantitative proteomics you know TMT or satellite or like label free so people want different things and then I build that all up so in the beginning, it's probably 50-50, but I also spent quite a lot of time like writing grants and getting people and like get have my professorship running. So I think maybe in the first two years, it would have been difficult. But then the more it goes, the, the smoother it becomes. So now I also have like, a, I also have a facility head, I have a, someone else, <laughs> or oh, I hired actually, so he was um postdoc, a PhD in my lab, and then he's really great and loves to work with people and everyone in the, in the institute likes him. So now he becomes a facility head and also have staff scientists who are engineers taking care of the instrument and the technicians like doing sample prep and stuff. So I have not much facility job anymore. It's probably not even 10%, probably just 5%. I think slowly I will just not step out completely, but just, you know, Whenever someone need help, then I will come to help. <laughs> and most of the time now I'm doing research. Great. Okay, mm -hmm. so it sounds like you're, you're you're probably working a lot, but when you aren't working, what are you doing? Uh, uh, skiing in winter, diving in summer. Uh, are we going to see you in Well, I'm I'm I make beautiful ceramics. Oh, really? So do, if, do you do you know so Brian Searle? <laughs> well, I'm, is he famous? Well, so if U.S. Hupo wants to have some like uh, souvenir mugs or so, then I can be the provider. Like you can wow. advertise me as like a, I don't know, like a like a Asian artist making this beautiful ceramics that she learned <laughs> from Himalaya from a monk. I can provide wait, a lot of like coffee mugs, tea mugs, and all of that. <laughs> wait, did did you learn it from a Himalayan mug? Oh, that's part of the marketing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a kiln in your house, or? Oh uh, well, I have a ceramic studio, um, like rented in Berlin. Got it. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah my, um, so my, my, my father-in-law has it, has a kill in his basement. Oh, wow. I see. I yeah. see. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, um, mm -hmm. but it's hard to match with space. That's, yeah. that's awesome. So will, will we see you in Winterberg? There's a, um, there's a meeting at, um, at a, at a ski resort in January. It's the wow. UBIC meeting. Oh yeah. Right. A student of mine is going. So you're talking about this, uh, Mm, yeah, computational, computational yeah. mass spec conference. Yeah, I have a student who's going. Okay. Uh, yes, but I'm not because I will go to Australia in January uh, for diving there. Wow. Yeah, and then okay. yeah, we need to find a find a like time to to do some skiing this year or next year. So next skiing, year. scuba diving, yeah. making making yeah. the ancient arts. Uh, yeah. But most of the time, that's the only thing what I do, huh? Uh, yeah, some sports. Like I've, I've done a lot of like climbing and bouldering before, but now nah, not too much anymore. Like now I start to do like the old people sports, like yoga. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they're, they're required, right, to keep, to keep our bodies going. I was going to say, exactly, I, just, exactly. I just need to do anything, you know, just so my body doesn't fall apart, much less yeah. old people. <laughs> or golf. Yeah, no, either. Um, and, and wait, let me let me just loop back on because I said Brian Searle. Brian Searle is um, uh-huh. he's at Ohio State. He's a computational guy as well. We had I him see. on two years ago, and like that was I guess he picked it up in grad school. And I uh-huh. think he's kind of legit. Um, you know, if this whole science thing doesn't work out, like you know, he's that's his future. <laughs> I see. I see. I will. I I also thought about it. I also thought about it. Uh, I oh. kind of wish that it was our question. Work out. Well, that, that's what I feel like our question, our very, very, very first guest, we asked her that. We're like, what would you do if this doesn't work out? And she's like, I'd have a coffee shop that had uh, macarons mm. with like mm. beer. And but yeah. I feel like that should be the question. Like, if you're not doing this, what's your job? <laughs> it's like, I'm a climber potter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I definitely gotta work in companies. You know, I I, I would do business if science doesn't work out. Well, no, I yeah, well, I do it anyway. But just to say, yeah, ceramics. I I did my calculation. I wouldn't be able to make a living by doing ceramics. It's just so expensive to rent. I mean, compared to how much you sell of your pieces, unless you do like this. Uh, uh, like a mass production. Otherwise, it's it's hard to to. Who pay my rent <laughs> i do ceramics <laughs> um, okay, so it's good but, to keep it as a hobby <laughs> but but you've definitely done the calculation i think that's probably the thing like scientists don't talk about is like how close were you to quitting um <laughs> so oh no i like what i do oh sorry I, sorry i, I don't yeah, have to uh, me to insinuate <laughs> that <laughs> that's that's me projecting um i'm like mm-hmm. can i make a living cooking barbecue and i'm like no <laughs> sorry <laughs> Um, okay, so we, we talked about this kind of off cam- off camera, um, where you know, you're going to Berlin to, to Portland, mm-hmm. but have you ever been to Portland? We like to ask all the guests, have they been there? Is there something they'd recommend? Have you been uh, there? Before? I'm trying to think any like attractions to tourists. So I lived in the States for five years mm-hmm. when I was doing my PhD. So I visited a lot of places, national parks, but. I don't remember. I've been to Portland. I mean, ASMS always choose the boring places. <laughs> I need to watch my words. Cheap <laughs> places, I think, is yeah, right. Yeah. Was they, yeah. that, they're, that they're boring or yeah. they're <laughs> one time was in San Diego was nice, and then like one time was in Vancouver. It was long, long time ago, and then sometimes Stanford. I mean, that's also close to like uh, the Yellowstone National Park and then. Like Rocky yeah. Mountain, that's that's also a nice area. Portland, I mean, I can get a T-shirt with Portland, like a hoodie, a hoodie. Oh yeah, with Portland oh, yeah. in the front. I probably yeah. can take one of that. <laughs> no, it's 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 fine. We uh, it's 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 funny because you never know who's gonna just show up and be like, oh yeah, like I live there or my brother's there. It's um, and people are full of weird knowledge, yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we had to ask. Um, I think we've got a couple lead-ins, um, so it's good. Thank you for playing along on that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love to visit Portland. You know, it's always good to explore the places you've never been before. So, yeah, it's gonna be a fun one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Okay. And more important to 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 foster this uh, people to people interactions, right? Right. Yeah. It's that's what PPI stands yeah, for. Exactly. That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the key. So, um, you know, I, I think um, when we try to wrap this series up by asking people what they're most excited about as proteomics is growing as a field. So what 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 really makes yeah makes you excited about where we're going or what what developments? Mm, so I just generally think like the like the, the field of like uh, life science goes from genomics to like transcriptomics to proteomics. In the end proteins are the the functional building blocks in the cell. And then so I'm, I would be really happy to see that the proteomics, like people finally use like proteomics for diagnostics and then too for 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 um, for treatment and just to see how like there's a functional building blocks, like the proteins changes in diseases and, and then what are they doing and then how we design small molecules to block the proteins from like misbehaving or misbehaving of interactions. So in general, I'm happy to see that proteomics, the field as a whole, just goes into diagnostics and clinics. And then we as a community contribute like the technology and then like also the experience and then to do something good for human health. That's great. Yeah. and, and, and <laughs> It, I think that's what a lot of people have been excited about. It's hard to remember the last couple of years of the, the podcast, but I think that application comes up a lot, and that's uh, yeah, it's fun stuff. Well, fun. I think we're we're up on time, but thank you so much for your time. I think we could have continued yeah. talking about crosslinking for the rest of the day, but maybe we we can do that in Portland. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to. Uh, thanks a lot for for the discussion, the lively discussion, the in the invitation, and I'm looking forward to see you both in Portland. You're both going. Yep. We'll, yeah, yeah, we'll see you. We'll come say hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sure, sure, sure. Yeah. All right, thank you again. Um, yeah, okay. thank you. So this is the part where I read the credits. So the views expressed are solely ours and not our employers or US HUPO. We want to thank US HUPO for sponsoring this season. We want to thank Johannes for the intro and exit song kaylee kirkwood for our artwork um you can email us and we are going to read those on the air at the show at gmail.com please like subscribe give stars and thumbs and yeah thanks bye